We're going to turn to the word of the Lord. And I'm anticipating next week starting a, a new series, actually starting it on Easter Sunday. And Lord willing, uh, we will get that started. And people that come and attend next week, maybe for the first time, will want to come back and finish out the sermon series with us. So thankful for all of you who are here today and uh, glad that you are able to be in the house of the Lord. And so today is another standalone message. I finished the series two weeks ago on why in the world are we here. And in between that and starting this series next week, I felt two specific messages as I was looking through and reading through the book of Acts, and so today I want to preach one more sermon from the book of Acts. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 3 today, and I'll begin at verse number 1. It says this, New King James Version, it says this, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So just for a little while today, I want to preach one miracle from revival. One miracle from revival. Have you ever been around people who everywhere they go, they change the atmosphere? Or they change the environment or they change the mood of what is happening and what's going on? I've been around a lot of people in my life. Some of these that everywhere they go, they they have this party mentality, and so as when they show up, everybody gets all excited. They pump everybody up, and no matter what's going on, they just bring a certain air of excitement and enthusiasm to the event or to the, to the setting that they're in. And then other people, they, they sometimes, everywhere they go, something bad seems to happen, some kind of accident, or they break something. When I was a child growing up, I was uh, termed at times a bull in a china shop. I, I was maybe ADHD before ADHD was cool. And I don't know that I really have attention deficit, but I had some hyperactivity going on when I was a kid. In fact, we have some 8-millimeter films of when I was a kid playing basketball, uh, Nerf basketball in my house with my brother. Now, my brother's three years older. I was about five years old at the time. And my brother is just calmly taking the little Nerf ball with the goal on, that's hooked to the door, and he's just calmly throwing it. And I'm running around like a rabbit, man, just all over the place, grabbing the ball. And, and we, were, we were on vacation one time and uh, visiting various places, and uh, because of my hyperactivity and 
in, a, in this particular pottery shop, things breaking. And, and so I, I bull in a china shop. It's just kind of how I was and sometimes even how I am in certain relationships. But, but there are people that their, their personalities or the way in which they act changes everything around them. Anybody been around people like that? They're always exciting, always bringing enthusiasm or always bringing something negative such as an accident or a disaster. The Bible tells us a lot about the Old Testament prophets. It doesn't tell us everything about them, of course, but if you look at the majority of the Old Testament prophets, everywhere that they would go, there would always seem to be the need for a miracle of some sort. And wherever they were, miracles would happen. That miracles would just accompany them as they went about their business, as they went about their life, as it were. There's a story in the Old Testament of, of Elisha. He is, uh, they, they have moved the, the school of the prophets. There was, a, in essence, a school where people would go and they could train and they would devote themselves to God. And they, they had moved this school of the prophets. They were moving it to the, to the area of the Jordan River. And when they did, they're, they're clearing some land next to the Jordan River. And some men are chopping with an axe. They've got an axe, but they didn't own an axe. They had borrowed an axe. And in the middle of chopping trees to clear the land and build the buildings for this school of the prophets and where they were going to live, the axe head flies off of the axe. And of course, the luck that they had was like mine. It doesn't just land on the ground. No, it lands actually in the river. And the axe head is now sinking, of course, in the middle of the river, and they're upset, and they're, they're distraught because they've borrowed this axe, and it's not like they can run to the hardware store. There's no hardware stores. They ha- it's a lengthy process and an expensive and time-consuming process to make an axe during this time period of about 900 or 850 B.C. And so they go to the prophet and they say, we've lost the axe head, what are we going to do? And the prophet says, well, we'll just take care of that. And he takes a stick and he throws it into the water. And when he does, the axe head floats to the top of the water just like the stick. He didn't come there to do a miracle. He wasn't expecting to do a miracle, but a miracle was needed in the moment. Where that the prophets went, miracles were sure to happen. In the New Testament, the apostles are the same way. Everywhere that they would go, miracles were sure to follow. That they would go in, in, in to a new city and they would preach the gospel, but there were people who needed the miraculous, people who needed healing, people who needed deliverance. And so as they would preach the gospel, miracles would take place. But I would tell you that it's not just the apostles, or it's not just the Old Testament prophets, but signs and wonders should follow believers. That we should see the miraculous everywhere that we go. Can I get an amen? amen. Let me ask this question. Some of you are, are we're in various stages, and many of you have, have seen God do the miraculous. Raise your hand if you've seen it few hands here. I just want to tell you that he does the miraculous. It's not just what took place in the Bible, but God still does the miraculous. I've seen people with tumors that had them disappear and people with cancer that are instantaneously healed. 
people with heart problems instantaneously healed. And it's not like they're going and getting treatment and, and six months later or nine months later they're, 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 they're cured of that and they call it healing because they prayed as well. But God can do an instantaneous miracle. He does that today. He opens blind eyes and He makes the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. He still does that and wants to do that today. And I'm not on my notes, but I would just tell you this. Part of the reason we don't see it that much here in North America is because we look everywhere else but God for what we need. It's why whenever you talk to to missionaries in other countries, they see miracles all the time. It's just common. It's just routine. Because they don't have doctors, or if they do have doctors, they can't afford to go. And so the people trust and believe God for whatever they need. Reality is, for most of us, if we have some kind of need, we'll take a faith pill. Ibuprofen or Tylenol or whatever it is, and we just believe that that's going to take care of our problem. And very often, God, instead of being our first resort, is our last resort. Instead of being the first one we turn to, he is the last one we turn to. This passage, it is about the miraculous and it's also about revival. And I'm going to tie those two things together. But the context of Acts chapter 3, of course, it it follows shortly after the day of Pentecost. Jesus has has ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1 and He has told his disciples to go to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, evidence with speaking in other tongues. He says, go and wait for that. Do not leave Jerusalem until that happens, until that takes place. And so they go, and sure enough, just a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues or divided tongues of fire set on them, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit gives the utterance. And you, you probably know by now, of course, there are people in the streets that are there for the Feast of Pentecost. They, they, they're wondering what's going on. They think they're, they're drunk, and so Peter stands up and preaches that they're not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days saith God, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And he goes on and preaches a message that results in in the the hearers and the people that are there going, well, what must we do? How are we to be saved if we've crucified the Messiah? How do we turn? And Peter preaches that verse in in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. That leads to a revival of 3,000 that very day, believing and being baptized. And the assumption is they're also filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then, the, the text tells us that there are many signs and wonders being done by the apostles, and the people had all things in common, and I preached about that probably six or seven weeks ago. But we get to Acts chapter 3. In the midst of all these, these miracles that have been taking place and, and the church growing and, and people being added to the church daily. And in the middle of that is our text. And I want to give you five principles from Acts 3 about the miraculous. And the first is this, is that the miraculous can occur in the midst of our routine. 
The text just says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. It's when they normally went to pray. It's the time of day when they would typically show up at the temple. It's not unusual. It's not out of the ordinary. It's what they always did. It is the hour of prayer. It is the ninth hour of the day. The day, of course, starting at 6 o'clock in the morning for them. And so 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're going to pray. The middle of the afternoon, it is the hour of prayer. What they did all of the time. What they did some six or maybe even seven days a week, they went to pray. And in the middle of this, a miracle takes place. And so so what I want to tell you is this, is that the the miraculous, and I'm going to get that right, I keep wanting to just say miraculous, the miraculous can occur in the midst of our routine. It doesn't have to be a church service. It doesn't have to be a Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be a Thursday night. It can be a Monday morning. It can be a Monday afternoon. The reality is it's that the miraculous can occur anywhere there is a need. That anywhere people have need, miracles can take place. Not a special day. Just a, an ordinary day. It doesn't specify what day it was because it's not important the truth is is that they want it, the bible jesus wants us to understand is that any time and any place is a good time for a miracle they're not even inside the temple they're outside the temple gates if you had any kind of infirmity or infirmity and you you couldn't you had any kind of sickness or disease you could not go into the area of the temple and so this man is sitting at the gate of the temple He's not in the temple. He's not worshiping with everybody else. He can't do that. He's not praying with everybody else. Outside the temple gate. So what I would tell you is that miracles can take place anytime, anywhere. But it does take preparation. Miracles do require you to be prepared to see God work. It does require you to be prayed up and fasted up and living for God so that you can see God work through you to take care of the needs of people. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, He's with Peter, James, and John, and while He's there, He has disciples that are trying to cast out a demon. They can't do it. And Jesus comes down off the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they say, Jesus, we've been trying to cast out this demon And we can't do it. It's not happening. And Jesus looks at them and says, This kind comes forth not but by prayer and fasting. And then Jesus just cast out the demon right there. But what he's saying is this, is that you don't wait until you need a miracle to start praying and fasting. You don't wait until you need to see a miracle before you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what you need to do is have a lifestyle and a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when you need a miracle, you have the relationship and the power to see God work and see God do the miraculous. It does take preparation. And Peter and John obviously had been prepared for this moment, even though they had seen this guy numerous times. They had seen him probably over and over every time they went to the temple. And that brings us to the second point is that 
the miraculous requires recognition of an opportunity. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked them for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. I would tell you that Peter and John probably had seen this guy numerous times. They had passed through the beautiful gate going into the temple to pray and something just struck them this day that was different. They recognized that this man needed something that they had. He was asking for money, but what he needed really was healing. He didn't need people just to give him money, but if he had healing, then guess what? He could go and earn his own money. He could then enter into the temple. He could then participate in all the rest of the Jewish worship and the rest of society. But as a lame man, all he could do was ask and beg for alms. He couldn't make money any other way. He's asking for money, but he needed healing. And Peter and John this day just happened to recognize that that man needed something they could give. They could bring him healing. But Peter says, look on us, and he says, silver and gold I don't have, but whatever I do have, I'm going to give you. They recognize the opportunity to see God work. I would tell you that we pray often for opportunities. I pray all the time for an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, for an opportunity to pray with somebody. I've probably mentioned this before, but most of the time we're waiting and anticipating somebody just coming up and asking us to pray for them or come tell me about the gospel or can you pray that God will do this or that. The reality is that very seldom happens. As I was saying, going through this here situation from yesterday came to my mind. Now, I, I've preached, and, and I wasn't planning on talking about this, and this is not to pat me on the back because I'm going to throw myself under the bus here in just a moment. But I, I've preached about loving our neighbor and serving other people and helping people. So yesterday I, I went to get gas, and I saw a man and a little girl on the corner out in front of High V down here at 151st and Black Bob. I was going to that minute mark to get gas. And, and I, I could see part of his sign that said lost his job and had three kids. And, and I didn't see what the rest of the sign said. So as I passed by, I'm like, for those of you that have not been here before, that train's bound for glory, by the way. So I, I see this guy, and I'm thinking to myself, I, need, I wish I could give him something, but I never carry cash. And then I remember that I have a, had a Panera gift card in my wallet. I very seldom go to Panera. In fact, somebody had given me this gift card, so it's not like it was some great sacrifice. It's not like I went out and bought it. 
And I didn't, in fact, I had two of them. One was empty and one had money on it. I could, didn't know which one was which. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this and I go and I get my gas. And I pull out of the gas station and I go the other way. I was like, man, I need to go back and give this guy a gift card. So I pulled all the way back around, parked my vehicle, got out so I could walk over to him. He's on, he's on the corner, he's got an amplifier, and he's got an accordion, and he's playing music. And, and maybe that was what drew me. He's just playing away. And so I give him the two gift cards. One is good, one is not, but I don't know which one is which. So I give him both of those, and a, an invite card, and, a, and my actual business card, and so he knows my name. And I give him those, I say, one of these is not any good, I don't know which one it is, the other one's is got money on it and, and then I got in my vehicle and I drove off and, and, and I could say man you guys need to be like me look how awesome giving away a gift card that somebody else gave me it's, it's not like that's that big a deal but you know what I didn't do I didn't take an opportunity to pray with him I'd already parked my car. Nobody's trying to get around me. I parked my vehicle and I got out and I walked up to him. But he needs a job. And I know a God who provides. I know a God who can give jobs. I know a God who can make the provision that he needs. And all I saw was an opportunity to give him money. Instead of an opportunity to pray with him and allow God to be his provider long term. Oftentimes we go through. We're asking God to give us opportunities and then they're right in front of us and we miss them. Because we're looking at the wrong thing. And I would just tell you. If you ever have opportunity to pray for somebody, don't just put it on your list. I'll, I'll be praying for you. Take advantage of that moment and say, let's pray now. This is the moment. The moment you're in is the moment that God can do the, mirac- the miraculous if we recognize the opportunity and we give God the opportunity to work. That he is very seldom going to work unless we pray. He's very seldom going to work unless we take advantage of that and we say, God can do it. Let's see him do it now. Would you just close your eyes right now? Would you just talk to the Lord and help? And would you pray specifically, Lord, help us to see the opportunities that you present us with. To take advantage of the opportunities to see you at work. God, we want to see your your power on display, not just in this room, not just in this building, Lord, but we want to see your power on display everywhere that we go. On the side of the street or in Walmart or in the the grocery store, Lord, of our place of business, in the restaurants, we want to see your power on display. Lord, help us to take advantage and to recognize the opportunities that you present to us. The third thing is this, is that The miraculous typically requires faith. Just like I preached last week, sometimes God answers a one-off prayer, and sometimes He answers prayers we don't pray. 
But most of the time you have to pray and it's a, a repeated fervent prayer of thanking God in advance and believing that He's going to do it and saying, Lord, I still need this to be done. In the same way, miracles typically require faith. There are occasions where you can see God work if you don't have faith and you don't really believe He can do it. I told about the, the Jesus casting out this, this devil out of this man, when he, a boy, when he comes off of the, the Mount of Transfiguration. He looks at this guy, the, the, the boy's dad, and said, how long has this happened? And he, and he said, it's been since he was a child. And Jesus says, if you believe, I can do this. And the guy said, I believe. And then he says, help thou my unbelief. There's a part of me, I believe you can do it. There's a part of me, I'm not sure that you can do it. Help my unbelief. And I would tell you that Jesus helped his unbelief by doing the miracle that he needed at the moment and delivering his son and casting out the devil. And, and I can assure you, probably from that day on, that man never doubted and questioned whether Jesus could cast out demons. He, Jesus indeed helped his unbelief by doing the miraculous. Typically, I'm going to tell you, though, that you need faith. You need to believe God is going to do it. Not only that he's able, but that you believe that he will. And so, in this moment, Peter and John, they have to have faith. They have to believe that God is able. And for them, that's, that can't be any, any big deal. They've seen Jesus do miracle after miracle. They've seen Him walk on water. They've seen Him resurrected from the dead. They knew Him before. They, they now they, they see, have seen all of these different things. They know He's able but they have to still believe that not only is he able, but that he will do it in this moment. Faith to speak with authority. And what Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'm giving you. Just rise up and walk. Faith in the name of Jesus, that when they pronounce the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, miracles can and will take place. Faith to lift the lame man up. I mentioned this sometime in the last couple of weeks in our small group on Thursday night, but whenever people are, are young in the faith, they have a lot of zeal and enthusiasm. If somebody's in a wheelchair and you're preaching about miracles, man, they're ready to grab them up and pull them out of the wheelchair because they believe God can do it. And then when you've been around for a long time, you go, I don't know if God's going to do that. Been there, done that. Preaching in various services, preaching about miracles. There's somebody in a wheelchair. Now you don't want to see that. Because there's always this little bit of doubt that we're not sure God's going to do it. And you can have back pain. God healed me, my pain's gone. And you're like, yeah. And that, and that can happen in the moment. And you can believe God for that. But somebody getting out of a wheelchair, that takes real faith. And for Peter and John, there's no question. Peter, he didn't put it off on this guy and say, well, if you believe, you can get up. Oh, he just says, get up. And he grabs him by the hand and he pulls him up. And the Bible says immediately his ankle bones received strength and he went leaping and praising God. 
That takes faith to pull somebody up and say, hey, you're going to be healed right now. That takes faith to believe that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ and that he will bring healing in that moment. And I would even tell you that the lame man probably had to exercise some level of faith. He didn't have to allow himself to be pulled up. He could have had doubt and he could have resisted. and He could have been like, what are you doing? Quit pulling on me. But he allowed him to be to Peter to lift him up and immediately God responded and brought healing. The miraculous typically requires faith. The question is whether we believe and trust that God will do it. Number four, the miraculous can lead to revival. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. If you keep reading the text... You will see that as a result of this miracle and and, and people seeing this guy who was lame, that everybody knew that he was at the temple and he was lame and he couldn't walk. That as a result of that, people said, what happened to you and how did this happen? And he's like, I don't know how it happened. All I know is these two guys came by and now I'm healed. And so they inquired about What's going on and how did this happen and what's, what brought this about? And, and Peter preaches to them. Later in Acts chapter 4, that's when he was said that the name of Jesus, this man whom you see that was lame, is now whole. That same name that we are saved. He said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He said, it's at the name of Jesus that he's healed. It's at the name of Jesus that we're saved. But Acts chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that that one miracle led to 5,000 men being saved. No telling how many women or children were also saved, but that one miracle because of that 5,000 men were saved. I've told you this over and over and, and maybe you're, you're tired of hearing it, but the blueprint of the book of Acts is Miracles, signs, and wonders. Preach the gospel. Signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. And people believe because of the power and the presence of God that they experience. It's not because of our eloquence. It's not because we have such a great message. It's not because we're just telling them some words. But it is the power of Jesus Christ accompanying this proclamation of the gospel that led them to be saved. Everywhere that they went, it was miracles, signs, and wonders. The music would come. I've told this story at this church, maybe in various settings. But I, I was raised in a fairly large church in Louisiana that was not always large. In fact, the story, I'll tell you, it took place in 
early 1973, maybe late 72. It was small, it was a church that would seat about 500 people inside the building. If I'm not mistaken, there were 27 people there that day. Church had gone through a lot of turmoil, fairly new pastor. And he was preaching that God is a miracle worker. That God is a healer. At the end of his message, a long-haired hippie had a big beard and hair down to his waist. If, I'm not, if I don't misunderstand the story, just the week before he had come to church and had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he's still in that process of figuring out what it meant to follow Jesus. But he had a little girl who was born crippled. The doctors had said that she would never walk. She and I, our birthdays are just a few months apart. My dad was in that service, and of course I heard this, the story from the pastor over the years of growing up in that church, and from my dad as well. But he, this new convert, this new believer in Jesus, the pastor said Jesus was a healer. So he decided to see if Jesus was really a healer. He brought this little girl up to the front at the conclusion of that message. And he looked and he said, Preacher, do you believe what you just said? The preacher was like, after a quick silent prayer, said, I believe what I just said. He said, well, can he hear that little girl? So the pastor and my dad who was was part of the the congregation, part of the ministry team in that then small church. Prayed for that little girl. And they tell the story that all over the sanctuary you could hear audibly as the bones popped and God lined up the bones in her legs. And He healed her instantaneously. Not surgeries, not physical therapy, but just an instantaneous miracle of the power of God. He is a God who does the miraculous. And it wasn't a great revival like we talked about just now in the book of Acts, but from that one miracle, in the next few months, 200 people came to know Jesus because of that one miracle that aunts and uncles and extended, other extended family and, and friends say, well, if, 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 he can, if God can do that, what can He do for me? People began to pour into that church and it sparked a revival that didn't stop for over a decade as they continued to see the miraculous and continued to see people come into the church and be born again of water and spirit. One miracle 
brought about a great revival. And I would tell you that all it takes is one notable miracle for God to get the attention of the people you know, of your friends, your family, of your co-workers. But it won't happen unless we give God an opportunity. That unless we see those around us who have needs, and we tell them that we serve a God who can bring healing, a God who can bring deliverance, a God who can do and be anything that they need. Would you stand together? This was my fifth point, and I kind of battled with whether to put this as a fifth point or make it part of the conclusion. I'm going to just use it as part of the conclusion. And that is this, that revival could be waiting on you. Revival could be waiting on me. St. Louis come to Olathe to plant a church I spent a lot of time thinking planning praying things that frequently came to mind is that the message of the gospel and specifically the message that we're bringing of salvation 
following the one true and living God. It is effective and it and it works. But there's a lot of church plants in Olathe. There's a number of mega churches in Olathe. And I thought about what would be the key, if you will, to seeing God grow a church like ours where there was no church. And what always came to the forefront that it's not our message which is true and which is biblical it won't be programs it won't be a great band and we want all of that what would set what we're doing apart is the power of God. Jesus said in Mark 16, these signs shall follow them that believe. Shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and they shall not hurt them. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. But miracles, signs, and wonders. Are supposed to follow every believer. includes me that includes you and I believe that we are not waiting on God God is waiting on us to step out in faith to see the miraculous so he th can bring the revival that he has sent us here to see and maybe this isn't for anybody else present or online maybe it's just for me 
one more reminder that God wants to do the miraculous if I can but believe. And if I can take advantage of the opportunities that come. I'm going to invite you just to come around the front for a moment. And since the crowd's down today, if you would just all come, you can spread out and be socially distanced. And, but would you ask God to work and your heart and your life that you would believe that he can and will do the miraculous that he can and will bring miracles signs and wonders that they will indeed follow you everywhere that you go that you would trust him that you would believe in his power you would believe that he wants to work would you do that right now would you seek him jesus we need you God, we want to see your great power on display. We want to see, Lord, you do the miraculous in our lives and in this church. Lord, your power, your presence is the only thing that's going to set us apart from everything else that's going on, from all the noise in people's lives. It's when they encounter and experience you. I pray that you forgive me for every time that I didn't step out in faith when you wanted me to and every time I didn't.